Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. So I want to invite you to go into your bulletins and take out your study guides for the second part of our message, the message we started last Sabbath, Flee, Dealing with Sexual Immorality. This is the second part of our message. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, you didn't hear the message, you, are, you can still do that. You can go to the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church YouTube channel and watch it there. Also on our, on our Facebook page, on the uh, post that uh, advertised this message, there's a link also for the first message, part one of the message. Uh, that way you have all the information. There's a pastor... Let's see here, is this working? This one's not working there, guys. Anyway, let me, let me start with a story and hopefully we can figure this out. The pastor was wincing in pain. He made his way through the garage door entrance to his house, and his back was stiff, and he literally limped through the doorway with his hand pressed against his lower back. This is what he says, I wish I could tell you that this physical pain was caused by the stress of ministry and an overcommitted schedule. That may be partly true, that may be partly true, but it wasn't the only reason I shuffled along. It's not the reason I only shuffled along. Notice he says, my problem ran much deeper. I had a soul problem, not a back problem. I had kept a corner of my life completely secret, and now it was taking a toll. There's only, one, there's only so long that a person can live as two people, and paranoid people at that. There you go. At times, the terror of imagining that someone would discover my problem became unbearable. Eventually, that which is hidden will bubble up to the surface and manifest itself in some way. In my case... Debilitating back pain was the result of years of internal struggle of sexual compromise with pornography. You remember last Sabbath, we uh, started our message with sharing a number of statistics of how pornography, or how so prevalent pornography is among Christianity. You remember one of the the statistics was uh, over 50% of pastors actively are looking and searching pornographic websites. 68% of men, you remember 87% of females are doing it. So this is, encompasses everyone, everyone. So this is a, a testimony of a pastor who uh, he's dealing with this, and notice how it manifested itself. Now last week we, we, we talked about um, the, uh, uh, the message that Paul gave to the church of Corinth. And you remember the church of Corinth had a number of problems. They had a number of problems they were dealing with, sectarianism. They had issues with, you know, problems with members, relationships, because they were suing one another. And, and, of course, there was an issue. You remember in, in chapter 5, Paul talks about a church member who was having sexual relations with his father's wife. So there was issues of sexual immorality in the church. And so Paul tells him his counsel, his command is to flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. Remember the word flee was a command. It it was in the imperative active form, which means that that it's something that we must continue to do. You don't just flee once. Your attitude is to run away from anything that is contrary to the will of God. And you remember the word of sexual morality, the Greek for sexual morality or fornication is the word porneia. Porneia, this is where we obtain the, uh, the root word for the English word pornography. So in essence, Paul could be arguing, he could be saying flee pornography. 
flee pornography. And, 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 and he mentions, as I said last Sabbath, six different things in, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians where he says, gives us the reason why we ought to flee. And we looked at the first three reasons last Sabbath, so let's just, as a matter of review, look at the first three reasons. The first one, based on 1 Corinthians 6.13, was because our bodies was not, were not made for sexual immorality. They were made to give God the glory. Our bodies were not designed for the, for the vice of fornication. The second reason, based on verse 14, remember, just as uh, Jesus was raised from the dead, those who accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, God is going to raise him by the same power. God has a plan for your body. And so notice then, uh, uh, indulging in carnal desires is unworthy of the saints because God has a plan for our bodies. Why get them into the mud and filth of sexual sin? And then the third reason, based on verse 15, we are members of the body of Christ. And so if a believer is drawing to a harlot, that would make the same, be the same as making a member of Christ a member of the harlot. The two would become one. Remember, sex is, or was a gift from God to humanity to be enjoyed in the context of a married couple, a man and a woman. And remember, we, we looked at some of physiological issues, um, the fact that uh, uh, when, when there, uh, 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 a female's having a sexual encounter, oxytocin, that chemical oxytocin is released, the, 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 the purpose of that is to create the bond between her and her loved one. The males release what is called vasopressin, which the purpose is the same. The two become one. The two become one. And this is what Paul is saying here in the third reason. But he's not over. He's not done. Let's look at the fourth reason. We find that in our scripture reading, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So this is a contrast here. Sin in general, when we, when we commit sin in general, yeah, that affects, uh, 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 affects us, but it's outside the body. The difference with sexual immorality is it affects the body itself. It is unique in the sense that it does directly affect the body. The, the story of the pastor. He had a terrible lower back pain that was a result of this. That was a result of this. A person reaps the consequences in his her her body. And the reason for this is because the sin of fornication, in the sin of fornication, the body is used as a direct agent of the crime. Yeah. Remember also last week we talked about dopamine. Right? That dopamine is released in our brain, right? And the more we're, we, we are uh, exposed to, in this case, pornography, the more dopamine is released. And eventually what happens is that our brain becomes desensitized. And in order for us to get the high, in order for us to get the fix, we need to get a stronger drug. Right? We need to look. And in this case, in the case of pornography, we seek more risky behaviors in order to get the high. And so, friends, what happens here? has an impact here in our bodies, as in the case of the pastor. Not to mention, of course, you know, we don't, this, people don't, don't like to talk about, a lot about this, but let's talk about sexually transmitted diseases, STDs, right? That's something that affects the body, doesn't it? Now, now you may argue, well, pastor, uh, you know, if I am committing this, if I am just viewing pictures or viewing videos in the, in, in the comfort and privacy of my own home, this is not going to have an impact. At least I'm not going to have an STD. Well, yes, you, you, you may be right about that, but you're playing Russian roulette because the still pornography is a step drug. It's, you're not going to be satisfied all the time by staying in the comfort and privacy of your own home looking at pictures because eventually it's going to manifest itself in more risky sexual behaviors. And I gave you my own example. Eventually, it, it didn't stop there. Eventually, I was seeking other, other areas. And so it is play Russian roulette. It's not worth it, friends. It's certainly not worth it. So again, the, 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 the fourth reason is because, notice, uh, uh, because of the stress from it will manifest itself physically and in our relationships. It will manifest physically. And of course, remember, when we bring a third party into the equation, it affects our relationship with our loved one and it affects our relationship with God. So this sin affects your body and it affects your relationships. That in, that in itself makes it not worth it. 
It isn't worth it. That's the fourth reason. Let's look at the fifth reason. And the fifth reason, we find it in verse 19. Verse 19. Notice Paul says, or do you not know, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you and whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Now, we saw this passage, yeah, we commented on this passage last week um, because us Seventh-day Adventists commonly quote this passage when we talk about the health message, right? We're talking about, you know, the dietary regulations. God says don't eat this, stay away from drugs, stay away from alcohol. And, and, and it's important that we follow his advice because he, he knows what's good for us. And, and when we talk about the reasoning, well, because the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We use that principle. But the context, as we saw last week, is sexual immorality. That's the context, friends. And so when Paul talks about this, this is the fifth reason, because our bodies are sacred shrines of the Holy Spirit, they must not be polluted by the vice of fornication. Because we are members of Christ and temple of the Holy Spirit, notice every sin committed against our bodies is a sin against the Creator and the Holy Spirit. It is a sin directly against God. Why? Because we're not our own, right? He says the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the shrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, is he not? Amen. So it is, it, it, we're polluting it. It is a slap in the face, as it were, to God. So it is a sin directly against God, the Creator, and the Holy Spirit. That's the fifth reason, and that, of course, is a good segue for the sixth one, because in the same passage, Paul says, you are not your own. Now, this one is probably the one that is probably going to be, people argue most about. You hear a lot about, it sounds so eloquent, sounds so nice to say, hey, this is my body. I can do with my body whatever I want to do. You hear that, you know, it's been prevalent because it's, it's a common argument that is used, and it's in the circles for abortion, right? And, and abortion, this issue is, you know, it's always in the news and it goes up and down, but, but there's some concern. You know, if you hear, uh, you heard the, the news this week because the Supreme Court is going back in session, they're going to address, one of the things they're going to address is this issue of, of abortion again. And the whole thing is with Texas, you probably heard all that. Okay? And, and this is not, not to get political, you, you believe what you want, but that's the argument that's used. Who, ha, who has the right to tell me what to do with my body? Right? That's the argument that's used. And it sounds so nice, sounds so smart for you to say that. But according to the Bible, it isn't biblical. And that's what matters, doesn't it? No matter what society says, no matter what you hear in the media, what matters is what God says. And God says, you are not your own. Why? Well, because God created it. God created your body, and since he is the creator, he is the owner. And it is the owner who has the right to tell you what to do with his property. Isn't it true? All of us probably have borrowed something at one time or another from a friend or a family member. And isn't it true that when we borrow something, we're more careful about that which we borrowed than if it was our own? Amen. Yeah, because, you know, it's, we, have, we have to be accountable. So if you, borrow, if you borrow your friend's car, all right, you borrow your friend's car, but maybe you were careless and smashed his car, now you're accountable to your friend for the car. You're going to pay him back. You know, you owe him an explanation of what happened. Now, if it's your car and you smash it, well, you know, you're mad because you smashed your car, but you don't owe anybody else an explanation because it's yours. Well, friends, if this is not our body, if it belongs to God, then we are accountable to God with what we do with it because it's not our own. He created it, friends. He created it. So when the final analysis is not for us to take this body and do with it what we wish because it doesn't belong to us. So notice then, Again, the sixth reason, we are bound to live mentally, physically, and spiritually as God directs because he is the designer and the owner. And he is, notice, he's, not the, he's the owner not only because he created the body, but he is the owner, why? Because he purchased it. We have been redeemed, friends. So think about it. We, are, we belong to God twice over. Twice over. He created it. He redeemed it. 
And because you're not your own, notice then, he says, you were bought at a price. There he is. You were redeemed. You were purchased. You were bought at a price. You know, right or wrong, most people determine the value of something or if it's good or bad, if it's going to work or if it's not going to work by what somebody else was willing to pay for it, right? So if, you, if you're, you're told, well, come on, uh, we're, we have free items. Well, you know, if it's free, it must not be all that good because it's free. That's the, that's the analogy. That's the logic we use, right? Or if it's, you know, it's cheap. Well, if it's cheap, you know, you get what you pay for, they say, right? If it's cheap, it's not all that good. But if it's expensive, well, it must be good, right? You know, I remember when I was a paramedic, my wife gave me for a birthday present a Master Cardiology Littman Stethoscope. Now, those of you that are in medicine, you know that this is the top-of-the-line stethoscope. This was $300. Back, back then, this was what, you know, that's like 20 years ago, right? My goodness gracious. I could hear everything with that thing. It was fantastic. So, unfortunately, somebody stole it. But, but, you know, I remember on one occasion... Um, her, Lucy's wife, husband, he had an issue with his blood pressure or whatever. He needed to borrow my stethoscope. Johnny, Johnny, he, I remember this. And, and, and so he, he wanted to borrow my stethoscope. And I said, well, I'm not letting in my Lippman. No way I'm not letting in my Lippman. That's, you know, that's my baby. So, but I, luckily I had another one, right? I had a, 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 a reject. It was an... A, I wouldn't say it was a, it's cheap, but it was a lot less expensive. <laughs> and um, so I went to him, said, listen, all right, well, listen, you need to borrow my stethoscope. Listen, I'll give you this one. You know, this one's good enough for you because, you know, for what you want. I'm not going to let you borrow the Lippman because that cost me $300, right? It, you know, bragging, I, I'm ashamed of saying this. But, but his response was, oh, it cost $300? Well, that must be a good one, right? Because it was expensive, right? Well, Paul says you were bought, you were purchased. How much did, he, did God pay for you? The blood of Jesus, friends. Jesus paid the full price. At the cross, we see the price tag that, that it cost God to save us. Yeah. How greatly must we be to God? How, how important must you be to God that he gave it all to save you? Huh? So much for, you know, sometimes we, we think we're not worth anything. Oh, you're worth if, if, if your worth, if your value is based on what was paid for you, you are worth is infinite because it caused the Son of God his life. So again, our bodies being, belong to God by creation and by redemption. We are not our own. We shall no longer think of the body as our own. And think about it, if we, th- if we take what doesn't belong to us and use it contrary to God's desires, who is the owner, that means that we're thieves. Taking which did not, does not belong to us. So you were purchased at a price, you were bought at a price, and Paul says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So don't you know the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, and, and that you're not your own? Therefore, you're bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You may wonder, well, how do I glorify God, Pastor? Well, for one, you glorify God by not using your body for what it wasn't intended to be or, to, or for you to do with it. Remember, the first reason is because our bodies were not created for sexual immorality. And so you don't use it for what it's not intended Okay, we ought to take care of our bodies. This is why, in principle, when we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20, this is why we use this scripture passage when we talk about the health message. Because when we follow God's instructions on the dietary rules, right, we are taking care of our bodies and therefore glorifying God. So that's why, in principle, we can use that body. But when we are not engaging in, in sexual immorality, then we are glorifying God because we're not using the body for what is not intended. The body was meant to glorify God. We ought to take care of it. But now, maybe you're struggling with this. Remember, um, there, there are good odds, unfortunately, about this because remember the statistics last week, 68% of men, 87% of women. I mean, the, the, the odds are that there's somebody here this morning that is struggling with this vice. 
It is what it is. So are you struggling? Well, I want to share with you four tips that uh, I believe can help us in, in gaining victory if you have this vice, or really if you have any addiction. Because remember, no addiction is positive. All addiction is negative, all right? So if you're struggling, well, flee. Flee, and this flee is an acronym. And so we're going to see what each one stands for. Flee, the first one, if you want to find victory, you need to fill yourself with Christ. Fill yourself with Christ. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the issue of sexual immorality because God knows very well that this is one of Satan's favorite tools and probably one of the most effective ones for him, okay? And, and so we read about, and for example, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon, King Solomon wrote the Proverbs, and Solomon had a lot to say about this issue. And, he's, and he spoke from experience, didn't he? He had all these wives and all these concubines. We know that, that, that the opposite sex was a big problem for Solomon, right? So he wrote a lot about it. He knew what he was talking about. Notice in Proverbs 9, 17 and 18, he says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, again, remember I'm speaking to you from experience myself. And, and those of you who have dealt or are dealing with this know this to be true. One of the challenges about this particular sin is because when you do something in secret, there's a certain exhilaration. You know, you're not being, you're doing something in secret. Nobody's, you know, you know you're not going to get caught. There's, there's a certain exhilaration. And, and this is what Solomon is saying here. It, it feels like doing something that's prohibited. It's very sweet and, and it's so good. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But it doesn't end there, right? It seems that way, right? But what happens in the end? But he does not know that the dead are there and that our guests are in the depths of hell. He, he, he's illustrating this by, by a, a sort of like a pretty girl in the neighborhood, right? She comes out the window, and, and apparently she's had success with other men who, who pass by uh, uh, you know, her house and convinces them to come in, right? Oh, yeah, you know, you're going to have, so you, the, the, the water is, is good, stolen water is sweet. You're going to have a good time. The, the bread is good. But he doesn't know that others have, have been there, and they're dead. They've given their lives for this. It isn't worth it. It isn't worth it. We need to fill ourselves with Jesus. Notice what Jesus said in John 6.35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. See, friends, sexual pleasure, porneia, pornography, fornication, will never do for us what only God can do. It will never satisfy us the way God will satisfy us. Let me, let me put it to you this way. And again, those of you who have or are struggling with this know this to be true. Any, any form of addiction is similar. In the case of, uh, of this particular addiction, I found that our bodies can tell when you are hungering or when you are inclined and seeking this particular sin. It's some, and I don't know how to explain it, only by, by, by what we talked about already, that the, these hormones that are secreted in your brain, the dopamine and all that. And so you can tell, at least I could, and again, if you're in addiction, and, and, and any addiction is the same, you can tell when your body is yearning for it. And, and what would happen is that, you know, I could tell my body was yearning for it, and instead of doing something about it, I would satisfy the yearning, and, and, and I would give in. And, and what, I, what would happen, and, and I, you know, being as a paramedic, I, I also dealt with this a lot. This is why people overdose, because what happens is that they're yearning for it, and they, they don't stop themselves. They continue in it, they continue in it before, you know, you're overdose. Of course, and if, if you're overdose on heroin or cocaine, you can die. In this case, you would overdose, I would overdose with it, and then I would stop doing it for some time, right? Because I, I, I quote-unquote, satisfied the hunger. But what would happen? The hunger would come back again. You see? 
it, it would come back. And, and so you could tell, here it comes again. And so instead of doing something about it, you would satisfy the hunger. And it's a vicious cycle. You continue satisfying the hunger, and you keep getting hungry. Why? Because it's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to fill you up. Only God can fill you up. See, I believe that because God created us, he's created us with a, with a void, with a yearning that is only meant to be filled by him. The problem that we have is instead of going directly to him to fill that void, we fill it with all kinds of other things. You know, sex, drugs, alcohol, work, you name it. And we're never satisfied. We keep coming back. Only Jesus can satisfy the hunger. He is the bread of life. He says that if you, if you eat of the bread of life, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. You will be filled to capacity. You won't have that need anymore. So how do we fill ourselves with Christ? Notice the first one, believe he is really the bread of life. Take him at his word. And of course, believing more than just the intellectual assent is that surrender, that, that submission to him because he's Lord of your life. Because he is the owner and, he, and, and, and his, you know, things are supposed to happen the way he says so. He is the bread of life. Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So believe that he is really the bread of life. And then fill yourself with his word. That makes sense. It's logical. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How sad it is that many people who struggle with this or any other vice never have a devotional life. And then you wonder, why are you so weak? Because you're not filling yourself with the Word. This is why it's important to understand the Word, to believe the Word, to to learn it, to memorize it. Because it is in times when the quote-unquote hunger comes, this is why you need to meditate on the Word. But if we're not doing that, how are we going to survive? We're going to just give in. We're going to get hungry again. We're going to go for the wrong food. So fill yourself with the word, and then fill your life with his people, with his people. Notice Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. This is why, this is one of the other reasons why church is so important, friends. Because if you're dealing or struggling with this or any other addiction, it's important that you come to a place where people can pray for you, where people can encourage you, where you have somebody that you can be accountable to. You've heard of being, having an accountability partner, right? That's why this is important. Somebody that you can trust, somebody that, that, that knows you, somebody, of course, that, that, that is going to be sensitive and that's not going to be proclaiming you know, your, your dirty laundry everywhere. Somebody that you can trust and say, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? And so that person can hold you accountable. This is difficult, and and, and one of the reasons why in in this case of of sexual sin is because sexual sin is so embarrassing. Remember I said last week, there's nothing that makes you feel so dirty and unworthy as sexual sin. And because of that, we feel so embarrassed that we don't want to tell anybody about it. And, And because we don't tell anybody about it, we don't seek to help. It's important to seek the help. Church is important. Surround yourself by Christian people, those that have the same values that you do and, and that can help you. And, and you know, maybe, maybe it is that, you know, when you come to church, maybe there's nobody here in church that you could hold, you know, that, that have that relationship with. It could be somebody else. It doesn't have to be the, a person that holds your same spiritual values. My best friend, Kenzel, is not an Adventist. But I will tell you that he knows everything about me. And if I needed accountability, I could use him. And I know that he would be there for me. So you need somebody to be there for you. Uh, You know, you get the air out of a glass by filling it with something else. And you can shake the taste of that that stolen water. Solomon says stolen water is sweet. You can shake the taste by going to the one who offers water welling up to eternal life. And that is Jesus. So if you're struggling, flee. The first one, of course, is fill yourself with Christ. The second one, the L, stands for lock out the lies. Why is it that people run to instead of running from sexual immorality? Lies. Lies. Because Satan lies to you. That's his favorite thing to do. He paints a nice picture. But the reality is other. It's another one. You know, um, one of the things that we do um, in, in the Mercado household, uh, uh, some, you know, sometimes on Sabbath afternoons, 
is we'll sit down and watch these nature shows, you know, Discovery, and there's plenty of them. And it's just so great to watch the creation and nature, and, and we, I, you know, I love the animals and, and, and look at the animals, and you learn so much about the animals, right? So how many of you like koala bears, right? They're nice and cute and cuddly. I understand they're not really not bears, right? They're really not bears. They call them bears. I don't know why, but they're not really bears. But they're so cute and cuddly. Won't you want to squeeze one? Yeah. But if you get close to a koala bear, you better run. Because they have these huge claws and these sharp teeth. They can destroy you. They look nice and cute and cuddly, but they're very dangerous. They can tear you apart. This is the way sexual immorality is, friends. It, it looks so nice and cuddly. It looks so good, you are going to have a good time. You, nobody's going to know. This is how Satan pictures it. Oh, yeah, you're, you're going to have a good time. You're going to satisfy. You're going to, and nobody's going to know. Then there's going to be no problem. But in the end, he doesn't tell you the reality. He doesn't paint the picture. Notice in Proverbs 7, 11, uh, 13 to 23, she seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I have perfumed my bed. Come, let us take our, our love till morning. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, and all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. See, see Satan, he, he points the first part. He didn't tell you the whole story, right? You know, one, one, one sad fact about the time that we're living in, and you hear a lot about this, is that a lot of Americans no longer trust the media. No matter which side you're on, the, nobody trusts the media anymore. Everybody has a bias. And so, and, and I heard it explained this way, I thought it was interesting, uh, that the problem with the media is not what they tell you, is what they don't. Yeah, that's the problem, right? They, they, they tell you part of the information, but they don't tell you the whole information, and that's exactly what Satan does. He, te- he, he tells you something, but he doesn't tell you everything. And, and, and really what he's hiding from you is the, the important part. Because if he shared that with you, you wouldn't partake of it. Yeah, he paints it all very nice. Yeah. Our flight from sexual immorality requires that we lock out the lies that give it power. Solomon said in Proverbs 5, 8, keep your way from her. Keep your way away far from her. If, if, if her house is on this side, and, and by the way, Solomon obviously pictures, he's picturing the sexual immorality in the, as a female, but we know that that's not only females, right? We know that this is a problem that affects everybody. But if her house is on this side, you better walk on the other side of the street. Keep far from her. Keep far away from her. So what does this look like? How can we get away whatever, uh, um, when, when, when we're tempted by this? You know, um, this little device... Again, is, uh, is high, the, high, the technology, how great it is to have this technology. It's so accessible. It's re- readily accessible to us. You know, they say that the technology in one of these phones is greater than the technology that existed in the Apollo lunar modules. You know, they went to the moon with these things, and, and the technology in these phones is far greater. But it has us handcuffed. It has us handcuffed. We need to be bold, friends. We need to be bold and getting rid of anything in our lives that poses the problem, okay? Remember what I said earlier. You could tell, at least I could, when you're hungering for the the bad food, if you will. And if you know that it is the cell phone that's causing the problem, then you need to get rid of it. You know, and if you're not going to throw it in the trash, put it somewhere else. Give it to somebody else. Put it somewhere far from you so that while you're feeling that, that hunger is coming in, maybe you can get on your knees and pray without the temptation there. Because if the temptation's there, you're going to go for it. If you're an alcoholic and the beer's there, what are you going to do? You're going to drink the beer. Get rid of the beer. We need to be bold, friends. And notice Jesus says it this way. This is in Matthew 18, 9. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown in a hell fire. Remember, if your eye causes you to sin, take it out. If it's your arm that causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better to enter heaven with one eye or with one arm than burn in a hell fire. Now, obviously, he's not speaking, you know, you know, he's speaking figuratively here. It's not literal about it. But he's saying, be bold. You need to do whatever it is, whatever needs to be done to get rid of this because this is a life and death situation. 
It's a life and death situation. Remember last week I, I told you that the problem that with some people is that they want to see how close they can get to the edge of the precipice and go like this without falling. That's dangerous, friends. You shouldn't be walking there in the first place. I ran into this one this past week that I thought painted a good picture. What does it say? The Christian who does not want to fall should not be walking on slippery places. Right? You don't want to slip on the ice, then don't walk on the ice. Put some salt there so you don't fall. So you need to lock out the lies, friends. If you're struggling, lock out the lies. And the third one, exchange the lies for truth. So lock out the lies, exchange those lies for the truth. And unless we retreat from the world, really, we're going to encounter seductive lies. And sometimes we lie to ourselves. We're born exchanging the truth about God for a lie along with everything else, including sex. Yeah. So what, uh, where do we find the truth? Where do we find the truth? In the Bible, exchange the lies for truth. The Bible, unsheathe your sword and go on the offensive, rejecting and rehearsing the truth. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the armor of God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. So you need to take the sword out. Right? We go back to learning the Word of God, and now that you learn the Word of God, you rehearse the Word of God. So you exchange the lies for truth, because Satan is going to be talking to you on one side. It's like the cartoons where you had the little devil over here, and then you had the little angel over here. Right? Satan's tried to convince you of all this junk, not telling you all the truth. But if you don't have ammunition, he's going to convince you. So you need to go to the Word of God. Here's a few passages. I mean, they're, they're actually paraphrases of it. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13, God is not stingy, but good. See, Satan tries to convince you. What? You know, God is telling you not to do that. He, he wants to hold everything good from you. No, that's not real. That's not true. God is not stingy. He wants to give you what is good, right? What is going to be helpful for you. Uh, Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, sinful pleasures are not filling, but fleeting Remember, it doesn't really fully satisfy you. Only Jesus can fully satisfy you. Genesis 1.27, people are not objects, but image bearers. Remember, God created us in his own image. When we partake of this sin, we are objectifying the, the member of the opposite sex that we're you know, looking at. We're objectifying them, and this is not what God's intention is. This is not what he would have us do. People are not objects. Romans 6, 1 and 2 God does not approve of sin because he loves to forgive, but he forgives because he wants to free us from the sin. Remember, we are, Paul says in Romans 6, that you are a slave of that which you obey. If this is what you're obeying, if you're obeying your desires, you're a slave of it. And God wants to set you free. Why do you want to be a slave? God wants to set you free, and he forgives you for that. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 6, six sexual sin isn't harmless, but defrauding. Remember, it's, it's always going to have a, an impact on you, and it's always going to be negative. And, you know, sometimes we think, in this case, that, that sexual sin is so powerful that we really, there's no way out of it. That's what we convince ourselves. Satan convinces ourselves. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that this sin is not inevitable. God always provides a way out. He provides a way out. The problem is that we know he provides a way out, but we don't want to listen to it right away because we'd rather listen to the other guy on this side, right? That's the problem. If you look for the escape, you'll find it. You'll find it. The problem is we don't want to. Yeah. So you're struggling. Exchange lies for truth. And finally, expose yourself to the light. If you fall into sexual sin, you will be tempted to hide in the dark and pretend that didn't happen. And we become depressed. Remember the, the young man in the video last week? He, he shared that, you know, he would engage in this behavior. And after he would engage in this behavior, he felt so depressed that he just wanted to withdraw by himself. And, and, and that's, you know, I can tell you from experience, that's what I felt too. Um, when I engaged in this, I felt so depressed afterwards that I felt that I should not even want to talk to God. 
How dare I talk to God? How hypocrite, how hypocritical can I be to talk to God? So I would not pray because I felt so ashamed, but this is part of Satan's strategy because now you don't go to God who is the one who wants to open his arms and, and, and take you back. And then you don't want to go to church either. Yeah, all those things, right? We, we withdraw ourselves. But it's important that we remember that we are all sinners and come short of the glory of God. And, and this is just another sin. This is just another sin. And the solution to sin is what? We, 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 we repent and confess. So notice, here is exposed through confession. The Bible says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice this does not say that, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins unless it's pornea. That's not what it says there, right? Pornea, pornography, fornication, sexual immorality is included in this. If we've repented and confessed, the Bible says God will forgive and cleanse. And why, is it, why confession is important, notice, we must confess our sin. Confessions uh, uh, bring sin to the light and light to our eyes so that we can see what we would never see in the dark. The holiness of God, the filthiness and sinfulness of sin, and the glory of God's grace. See, when we confess our sins, friends, this, this is why it's important to be specific, right? You don't just go ahead, well, Lord, I sinned again. No, you need to bring it out. Lord, I committed lust again. I, I committed fornication again. I, I gave in to pornea again. You, it's, it's important that you're specific so you can see the filthiness of that sin. If you don't see how dirty that is, you're going to, well, it's not that bad. That's the problem. Coming to Christ means coming out of the hiding to be exposed by the light so that everybody can see. And you're covered by the blood of Jesus. You know, the, the best thing we can do as Christians is to stay in the light. Never going to the darkness. But if you have wandered into the darkness, run back to Jesus, and confession is the first step. Confession is the first step. So expose yourself to the light. You know, like anything, we need the right motivation to change. The motivation, obviously, in this case, should be to escape the pain, the suffering, and the misery that sexual immorality causes to you, causes to your loved one, and causes to God. Have you thought about what, 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 how, how you hurt God's feelings when you partake of this? Because it's not like you're doing this in secret and nobody knows. Maybe you think so, but God is always watching. Amen. He knows exactly what we are doing. Nobody can hide it from him. You know, um, in his book, Breaking the Silence, this is Pastor Bernie Anderson. Again, again an example of a pastor who... Um, had this problem of sexual immorality and how he came out. So he, he wrote a book about his experience, about how he fell into that and how he found victory. And notice what he said. It isn't enough to simply want to be free from the disruption that lust brings to your life. There must be a bigger purpose in mind. That purpose should stem from an understanding, notice this, that God is able to fulfill the deepest longings of your soul. Sexual desire is a good thing. God has given us something good, but that which God has created for our good can easily become the thing that we illegitimately rely upon to comfort or distract us when life gets challenging. And so when, when, when we go through the challenges of life, we're seeking something to make us feel all woman fuzzy and good, and we, and, we, and we seek something that we should, which really never satisfies us when God is the only one who can fulfill our deepest longing. See God. If you see God the first time, you won't have the problem because you'll be fully satisfied. Yeah. We got to be intentional, friends. And a person who is intentional about this will, will arrange his or her life in such a way that his or her activities demonstrate that they want to honor God in everything, including their bodies. Because it's God's body anyway. So again, taking steps. You know, uh, finding an accountability partner, finding an accountability group, seeking counsel, changing your viewing habits, getting rid of anything that you know is the culprit. If it's the laptop at home, then you, want, you use the laptop when there's people around you. You never do it by yourself. Again, if it's the phone, do something with the phone. Because again, remember last week I told you that, you know, when we think about our children, you know, we, we think we're punishing our kids by saying, go to your room. And yeah, you go to your room and you have all these things in your room, including your cell phone. So be watchful, friends. 
And kids, I'm not, I'm not against you in any way, young people, but, but again, speaking to you from a person who had experience that if, if God had not intervened, I don't know where I would be today. Certainly wouldn't be right here where I'm standing. So this is a life and death situation. Parents, you need to do what you need to do to keep your kids out of this. You need to, you need to have some accountability with them as well. Yeah. Guard the avenues of the soul carefully, friends. You know, um, there are those who live in areas where it snows a lot. Ugh, snow. I hope I never go to a place that snows a lot. Yeah. But, you know, in those areas, uh, we used to go to, when we live in Philadelphia, we used to go to the Poconos a lot. You know, these areas where there's a lot of ski resorts, right? Yeah. And filled with tourists that they are there to have a good time skiing. But there's another group, usually the locals, the ones who live there who are more daring than the tourists are. They have no interest in the well-groomed, sterile resort scene. These adventure seekers travel into the backcountry in search of pure, untouched, powdery terrain. The backcountry is wide open, free from recreational types, and tests the skills of everyone who dares to venture in. But the backcountry is also deadly. The real danger in the bad country is that you could trigger an avalanche, right? Uh, an enormous wave of snow that can overtake you. Skiing outside the boundaries is a wild, unpredictable journey in which you ski at your own risk. And everywhere around there are the signs posted, warning, you can die. Well, friends, the Bible has many warning signs. Many post-it signs warning us not to venture into dangerous territory like Pornea. We venture out at our own risk. But friends, not all is lost. Because if you ventured out, we still have a God who is seeking for the lost sheep. And he will not give up until he finds the lost sheep. But we do have a responsibility, Mary. This is from the devotional Reflecting Christ by Ellen White. Notice what she says. The strongest evidence of man's fall from a higher state is the fact that it costs so much to return. The way of return can be gained only, gained only by hard fighting inch by inch every hour. By a momentary act of will, one may place himself in the power of evil, but it requires more than a momentary act of will to break these fetters and attain a higher holy life. The purpose may be formed, the work begun, but its accomplishment will require toil, time, perseverance, patience, and sacrifice. Beset with temptations without number, we must resist firmly or be conquered. So, you know, one time, you can fall by trip one time, and that can, that, that can create a whole list of problems. Uh, uh, coming back is harder. Especially in this area of sexual sin. It is harder. Once you get into, into that, that weave, uh, it's hard to get out of there. Trust me. By yourself, it's, it's hard to get out of it. Not with Christ. From Messages to Young People, page 154. Notice it says, yield yourself up to me. Give me that will. Take it from the control of Satan and I will take possession of it. Then I can work in you to will and to do of my good pleasure. When he gives you the mind of Christ, your will becomes his will. And your character is transformed to be like Christ's character. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to be like Christ. We want to be a reflection of Christ in everything we do, including the things that are up here. Because what's up here eventually manifests itself in the body. We can't do this ourselves. You know, if you've fallen into this, if you've fallen into this vice, flee from it as fast as you can. Do whatever you need to do. Don't depend on your own strength because I can guarantee you you're going to fall on your face. Depend upon Christ. Notice, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of, the, of his holy glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. It is he who can keep us from falling. You know, I told you that in my, in my experience, in my situation, God intervened at the right time. He intervened. 
Um, and, and it was during that time as he's, he's intervening and, and doing what he can to save me. I remember going to church, and this one, for some reason, I don't know why I was at that church, but it was in my home church. And, um, but, you know, the pastor was giving a, a message. You know how it is that God knows what you need when, when you're struggling with something, and sometimes you go to church and it's just like the pastor was speaking to you? Have, have you had that experience? So I had that experience that, uh, on that day. And if, he's, if it's like he's speaking to me, he knows exactly what I'm going through. And I remember that, that that message, that being in that place at that time, gave me the reassurance. God is in control of this. He's given me a ch- another chance. He's willing to take this from me and make me better. And so I'm going to share a song with you. Actually, it's on the video. No, I'm not singing today, but it's a video. And uh, it, it, the, the song is called Slow Fade, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful song because it highlights the fact that this kind of thing doesn't start. Remember, you don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden you say, I'm going to cheat on my wife or on my husband or I'm going to do this. This is a process, right? And, and, and little steps that we, can, we take can take us to the place we don't want to be. So it's important that we don't take the first step. So this is what the song is. But as you listen to the song, you know, I know that this situation, that this, that this topic that we're addressing today, this is very sensitive. It is very personal, okay? And, you know, a lot of people don't want people, other people to find out their business. And so when we think about this, this issue of sexual immorality, you, you know, you, you're thinking, yeah, I'm going through this, but I don't want anybody else to, 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 to know about this. But, you know, I want to challenge you today. But it could be that you're struggling with this issue. It could be in any other form of addiction because they're all, you know, tied up into the same. And maybe you are tired of this because you've been struggling with with such for such a long time, and you are tired of it. You are wanting to give it to God, for Him to take it from you. And so, you know, again, I, I I'm speaking to you from experience. God unbeknownst to me and why, but he, here he has placed me in spite of the fact that I was in the scum of the, I was the scum of the universe and I was there. But he, 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 he gave me a second chance and a third chance, and, 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 and so he'll do the same thing for you. If you want to accept that challenge, again, maybe you're struggling with this or struggling with something else, and you want to say, I am tired, I want to bring it to God, I want to leave it at the foot of the cross. If that's you, then I, I, I would ask you to come forward. Again, just because you're coming forward doesn't mean you're, you're acknowledging that you're, 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 part, you're partaking of this particular issue. You may, but it can be something else. But it's time to leave that aside and say, you know, Lord, I want to give you this. I want you to take it away from me. I want to live a new life in Jesus. It's, it's worth it, friends. It's worth to get rid of this because this is a life and death situation. So I'll be here in the front if you want me to special, uh, especially pray for you as you give this to God. And if not, God knows where you are. He knows where you're sitting, and if you're still struggling with this, he knows what your need is, and I'll pray for you too. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.